0: Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's word together. Glad to have you along. Good morning, Caitlin. Hey, Lewis. Uh, Keith says, good morning. Uh, Hope you had a great fellowship yesterday. We did have a great fellowship yesterday. It's a great day. Today's a great day. Glad you're here with us. So we are studying the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. And uh, one of the things that probably we need to get clear in our mind is That the kingdom of heaven doesn't usually refer to life after death or going to heaven or what we normally think of as heaven. It's more the kingdom from heaven or the kingdom of God is God's kingdom. Now, if you remember, we we saw that terminology first in Daniel chapter 2, that statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw and that uh, there were four kingdoms that were going to be in succession, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then Rome. And then during the Roman Empire, God was going to uh, establish his kingdom. And he pictured it as this stone that would come and crush the other kingdoms and grow into this huge mountain that fills the earth. Remember that? So what God was revealing there was when his king comes and his kingdom is established on earth, it's going to be a stone that grows as big as a mountain and fills the earth. Now, stones don't grow, right? But God is illustrating something with that. And you, you can imagine a big boulder growing into a huge mountain and then a mountain range that covers the entire earth that's what god said to daniel was going to happen with the kingdom well jesus told the same story with a different image so last week we looked at matthew 13 and the parables of the sowers the the four soils and then the wheat and the tares well in that same section jesus presented a couple of different parables to illustrate something about the kingdom so he says this in matthew 13:31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So Jesus here is saying, The kingdom of heaven is like this: it's it's going to be as, as small as a mustard seed. He kind of liked that illustration, didn't he? (laughs) If your faith is is even as big as a mustard seed. It's a small, Jesus calls it the smallest uh, seed of all. It's a little seed, but then it's going to grow and grow and grow and grow into a tree, which uh, I don't think mustard seeds actually become a tree. It'd be more like a bush or something, right? But again, he's using images to communicate something and it grows in this big tree, and it's, and he says, birds of the air come and nest in its branches. If you see here, these are all capital letters. That means it's a quote or an allusion from the Old Testament. Uh, It is referring back to Ezekiel chapter 37, and God there, in the context of judgment in Babylon, all this on Israel, talked about this this twig, this sprig he would take from the top of a tree, and it would grow in birds would come nest. So, what's the point of this illustration, this parable? The kingdom of God is going to start small, but it's going to grow really large. Same idea as the stone going into a mountain range. This is not dying and going to heaven. right? He's talking about on earth. Well, Jesus is the king, and when he came... And established his kingdom. How big was the kingdom? It was the the eleven disciples, and then maybe some of the others. You know, there were seventy that were sent out. You know, maybe less than a hundred. It was small. Here we are, two thousand years later. How many people on planet Earth today call Jesus Lord and mean it? Well, I don't know. I'm guessing millions, millions and millions and millions. It started small. That's a pretty pretty big increase, isn't it? From a dozen, maybe a hundred, to millions and millions of millions, pretty good growth. Just as Jesus said. Here's another parable that he told about the kingdom. This is Matthew thirteen, thirty-three. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. So if you picture uh, someone kneading dough and putting a little leaven in the dough and working it, working it, working it, and pretty soon it permeates the entire lump of dough, the entire loaf. If you were to bake that dough into bread, the whole bread would be leavened. You don't just have a little section of it leavened, the whole thing is. What is Jesus communicating about that or with that? His kingdom is going to spread into every aspect of the earth. It's going to fill the earth. That again, we see happening. Remember, the gospel is for the Jew first. The original Christians were Jews in Jerusalem. Well, I don't live in Jerusalem. Do any of you live in Jerusalem? We live thousands of miles away from Jerusalem. There are believers all throughout the earth. Oh, there are still some what we call unreached people groups. There's still tribes in certain parts of the of the world that haven't heard the gospel, but there are Christians spread throughout the entire globe, just as Jesus said would be the case. He predicted all this. He he announced all this at the beginning. Here, obviously, kingdom of heaven is being used uh, to describe those who believe the gospel and who call Jesus Lord, who bow down to him as king. Right? This is, there's a sense in which the kingdom of heaven or God's kingdom is the entire world because God rules over all of it. And sometimes the Bible uses uh, his kingdom to describe the entire world uh vastness of his reign, which is the entire universe. So that would include unbelievers even, right? They are under the rule and reign of Jesus. In one sense, even unbelievers are in the kingdom because God, uh, Jesus is their king. But at times, like we see here, the kingdom is not simply talking about God's universal rule, but the kingdom that he established when he sent his king, the Lord Jesus, you follow? So that's been going on for 2000 years. It's gonna keep going and keep going, keep spreading, keep permeating, I believe every aspect of human existence. I believe this is gonna have a cultural impact. I know some of you struggle with that and that's okay. Uh, I don't see how it can't have a cultural impact. If the gospel continues to grow and more and more people people come to faith, and those people are working and they're in government and they're teaching and they're doing you know, they're raising families and all the things that people do, and more and more of us are believers and permeating every uh, and we permeate everything in, in the world. How can that not? permeate like leaven everything in in culture everything in our society uh, to me that also is uh, consistent with what we see in isaiah and other prophets but i don't have time to go into all that now i've covered that in some others and again i know some of you struggle with that you've been so inundated with a pessimistic view of christianity and this idea that uh, the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket and you come to faith and you just got to survive until either you die or jesus comes back but you know, work is pretty much a necessary evil and uh, culture is doomed, it's all over the world, and maybe, but that's not what I see. <laughs> Sorry, I got a bug flyer. I almost flew in my mouth, so I had to remove it. All right, um, so Jesus says another thing here about the kingdom in Mark chapter nine, Look what he says here, Jesus was saying to them, truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, standing right there in his face. And he says, some of you who are, who are listening to me, you will not die until you have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Like, you're going to witness this firsthand. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming with power. And some of you alive today are going to see it. Well, what does he mean by that? It's a good question. In in two of the gospels here, Matthew and Mark, the, the next story, the next event that happens is the transfiguration. Remember that? Jesus goes up on the mountain and uh, Moses is there and Elijah is there. Of course, Peter is there. And Jesus is metamorphed in their presence. That's what the Greek says, metamorphic. He changed uh, his appearance and he, he the glory burst through his humanity and, and he shone like the sun. And it was, it was just amazing for everyone there who witnessed it. So some think that's what Jesus meant. That some of you are going to see the kingdom come in power and then he takes uh, Peter and a couple others up on the mountain, and there's Moses and Elijah, and he he's transfigured. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe at least that's the uh, a a a sense in which his uh, his kingdom was shown. But uh, I don't know. That doesn't seem. I don't know. For me, it it, it still lacks something. Uh, there's another passage that I think gives us some insight here. Acts chapter one. So this is after the death and resurrection. Here's how Acts begins. The first account I composed, O Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So Luke is telling us that after the resurrection, Jesus began or continued to teach his disciples, especially the, the, the 11, or soon to be 12, think concerning the kingdom of God, which has that same sense of the kingdom is at hand, doesn't it? Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you've heard from me, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? So they're thinking the kingdom is for Israel. Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or epics uh, epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive... Yeah, Lewis is already on it. Acts 1.8, it's right here. You will receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. So you see the connection there of terminology, at least. Jesus says, Some of you are still going to be alive to witness the kingdom coming in power. And here Luke says, Jesus was telling them about the kingdom. And on what we, the day that we call Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon them with power and they began telling the mighty deeds and 3,000 Jews became Christians, bowed the knee to Jesus and called him Lord, thus launching the kingdom of God. I don't think that terminology is used here in chap, Acts chapter 2, but boy, it sure seems to fit well with all that we're seeing, doesn't it? I think that's what he meant. So, maybe, and I, I I, am still not convinced about the transfiguration, but it seems like Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, is when the God's kingdom was established. Now, again, I don't want to get too wrapped up in specific terms. Jesus rose from the dead, and in Romans 1, Paul says he was declared the Son of God with power that at the resurrection. So he's, he's the king there. And in some sense, he's the king even at birth, right? We, we sing about this every Christmas. The, the Magi came and bowed down to him and gave him gifts as a king. So Jesus was born a king. When he resurrected, he was declared the king with power. He said, all authority has been given to me. But then he started building his kingdom as the spirit came upon those people at Pentecost and they bowed the knee to Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Almost like there's this, the beginning of the kingdom is, is this uh, transitional period, this, this it, it, maybe, not, maybe we shouldn't even think of it as a single event, but a, 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 a continuum. Birth of Jesus, death, resurrection of Jesus, Pentecost, and then there's one more I want to point out. Uh, in Luke 21, this is the uh, Jesus predicting the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Now, we cover this in another series in great detail, so I'm not going to read every verse or, or dive into all the, the details, except to just get you to where I, I, I want you to go here. Uh, he says, some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, and he said, as for these things which you're looking at, the days will come in which there will not be one Stone left upon another which will not be torn down. So the apostles are marveling at the temple. Jesus says, Yeah, it's going to be destroyed. That's a big deal for the Jews. They've seen this movie before, or at least they've read the historical account. 586 BC, God's judgment upon the Jews in Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple and the destruction of the city. Jesus says it's going to happen again. Go ahead and take a good look, guys, at the temple. It is going to be destroyed, okay? So this got their attention, this shocked him, and they questioned him, saying, Teacher, when, when is this gonna happen? When, therefore, will these things happen? When is the temple gonna be destroyed? And what will be the sign that these things are about to take place? Is there any way that we can know ahead of time that it's about to happen? Jesus said, "'See to it that you are not misled. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and rumors and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately.' Then he continued and he said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes, various places, plagues and famines. There'll be terrors and great signs from heaven. By the way, for those of you especially who are raised dispensational, his, the question he's answering here is, when will the temple be destroyed? So he's telling them these things are going to happen before the temple is destroyed in 70 AD. This is not our future. This is the disciples' future. It's our past. This thing, this, All this stuff already happened. Before all these things, they will lay their hands on you. You who? <laughs> you disciples, you apostles. They'll persecute you. They'll deliver you to the synagogues and prisons. They'll bring you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to defend yourself. I'll give you utterance and so on. You'll be betrayed by parents and brothers and friends. Some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated by all, yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. All right, here's, here's where he hones in on the sign then. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. That's the abomination of desolation that Daniel talked about in the 70 weeks. He's telling those apostles in the first century, when you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, that's the sign. The desolation is going to be destroyed. The the apostles, the the apostles, the temple is going to be destroyed. It's going to be desolate. Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Those who are in the midst of the city leave. Uh, Verse 22, these are the days of vengeance so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. The days of vengeance that the the, uh, prophets predicted coming on the Jews. Woe to those who are pregnant and so on. Great distress on this people till signs of the uh, times of the Gentiles are fulfilled and all that. There'll be signs in the sun and moon and stars. Again, I cover this in other series. This is all language from like Isaiah 13 and other places to describe God's judgment on a nation. They'll see the son of man coming in a cloud with great power and glory. That's from uh, Daniel chapter seven and the, uh, the son of man taking his kingdom. This is all taking place in the first century. When you see these things begin to take place, again, he's still talking to the Jews, the apostles. When you see these things begin to take place, straighten up, lift up your heads, for your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it, and you know for yourselves that summer is now near. Right? You know by looking at the leaves on the trees, the sign that summer is coming. So you also, who's the you? The apostles he's talking to, the ones who asked him, how do we know when the temple's going to be destroyed? When you see these things happening, recognize the kingdom of God is near. God's kingdom that's going to come and crush the other kingdoms and grow into this mountain that covers the earth. You're going to know it's near, gentlemen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John when you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem. Truly I say to you, this generation, the generation he's talking to in the first century, will not pass away until all things take place. So you see how this all fits together? God had predicted he's going to judge Jerusalem one more time. He's going to destroy the temple one more time. That's going to coincide here, Jesus is telling his disciples, with the establishment, the inauguration of God's kingdom. So all that happened. So so this is the continuum that I see. The king has come at his birth. He becomes king at his resurrection with power. All authority is given to him. He sends his spirit upon his people at Pentecost. And for the next 40 years, people are coming to faith in Jesus, Some Jews are, a lot of Jews are hardened, Gentiles are, then God brings the end of the old covenant era completely by destroying the temple and and Jerusalem in 70 AD. And now since then, for 2000 years, the kingdom of God has been growing into this tree where birds can come and nest. It started as that mustard seed. It's been permeating all of the earth and all of civilization as more and more people come and bow the knee to King Jesus. Exactly as the Lord Jesus said it would. So friends, we live in the kingdom. And the kingdom is growing. And it's permeating. And it's dominating. And King Jesus is ruling and reigning over the earth. And he is destroying his enemies, crushing the ideologies that are against him. And raising up rulers who will rule in justice and righteousness. Just as Isaiah prophesied that he would. And others did too. Be of good courage. Take heart. The king is on his throne. It's a good day. Let me catch a couple things here, and then we'll call it a day. Caitlin says, I love your optimistic perspective of the times we live in. Well, thank you. And, and it, you know, I'm not just an optimist. It's, I'm convinced it's what the scripture teaches. And that's what gives me great hope. Uh, Contemplate says, Isaiah 10, the remnant will return uh, then the destruction decreed will occur. Is that uh, you? Are you tying that to what I was uh, saying? Yeah, it looks like you're. Uh, you're seeing the same thing I am here. I believe so. All right. Well, with that, give it some thought. Take heart. It's a good day. King Jesus reigns. All right. We'll see you tomorrow as we continue our study of the kingdom.